0: Thank you very much. Uh, good to see you all. Um, it is a new series week, very exciting. Um, we're kicking off a series today, and it's in line with some of the stuff we launched in our vision back in November or October, by invitation only. So, if this is your first time at Light Church, it is really good to see you. And uh, if this is part of your regular thing, it's very nice to see you again. Uh, I'm excited about all that God is doing, and I believe that God is wanting to move in your life right here, right now, uh, today, and um, yeah, I'm I'm excited, I think this is a good time to be alive, a good time to be in church, and uh, so we're going to look at some invitations uh, throughout the Bible over the next few weeks, and probably, you know, February or so, maybe a little bit into March, we'll see. And uh, we're going to look at how God invites us into things and how then we in turn are to invite others into things. So I'll leave that as ambiguous as possible. So you're like, I'm going to come next week and, um, and listen. So. Do you remember as a child when you got an invitation to like a birthday party or an invitation to something, that feeling that when you got like the little scribbly handwriting on the little like fill in the name, you've been invited to somebody's birthday party, their eighth birthday party a Wacky Warehouse. Does Wacky Warehouse still exist? Any parents out there? Does Wacky Warehouse exist? It does, okay, some of you have no idea what Wacky Warehouse is. I remember being a kid, being invited to places like Wacky Warehouse, You get the invitation, you've invited to this person's eighth birthday and they're feeling of excitement. Now, we all respond to invitations in different ways. We all have mixed feelings of invitations. And uh, especially like if you were to receive an invitation through the door inviting you to your local police station, it might not be a welcomed invite. You might be like, I feel a bit nervous about this. What have I done? If you got a, a... like a very fancy handwritten letter through the door from Buckingham Palace, you would think, oh, you'd feel a little bit special. You'd feel a little bit honored. Like, See, we all have different, different views, different feelings, mixed feelings about invitations that we get because it's not necessarily about the invitation. It's about the thing that we're being invited to. It's interesting because an invite in itself, I don't know if you've experienced this, uh, an invite in itself is ultimately worth nothing. Okay, it's a bit of paper. It's a cluster of pixels on a screen on your phone. It comes into your inbox, goes through your door. And the invitation on its own is just a bit of paper that tells you something. Or just a message that says, hey, you are invited to this thing. You personally have been invited to this event. Or to come and experience this amazing thing. Or a bad thing at the police station, or the court, or whatever you've been invited to. I don't know. You don't need to tell me. It's worthless on its own, but what it represents is of great worth in some, in some places. It's not worth anything on the paper. I got an invite through the post. A friend of mine became a mayor in a local town. And I got this fancy handwritten letter through the door. It was in like, you know, like really squirrely writing. It said Reverend Belshaw on the front of it. It felt very official. It had a stamp on the front that opened it. The paper was the best paper I've ever felt in my life. And it says, you have been formally invited to the mayoral ceremony of blah, blah, blah. blah. And I felt special. Like, oh, this is what it feels like. This, this is what it is to, to experience being invited to a mayoral ceremony. Now, when I got there, it was actually very casual and very low-key. But still, the invitation was beautiful, but it was worthless on its own. It represented something. And the thing is, about invitations, and you'll all get this, if you had an invitation through your door and you didn't do anything about it, okay, you got the invite through the door, you put it on your fridge, and you walk past it every single day, that invite, when not acted upon, is simply a reminder of the thing you could have gone to. It was simply a reminder of the thing you could have had, a reminder of what you had been invited to, but you didn't end up going because you didn't act upon it. You didn't respond to it. Okay, you have to actually do something with an invitation. Invitations require a response. Is that fair to say? When you get the invite for your friend's eighth birthday party, you don't experience the birthday party by holding the invitation. You experience the birthday party by going to the birthday party. You experience the mayoral ceremony by going to the mayoral ceremony, not just staring at the luxury paper it was sent on. Invitations require response and action. Otherwise, they are just reminders of what could have been. And the sad thing is, especially when we kick off this series, the sad thing is, is this is how so many of us approach our faith and ultimately how so many of us live our lives. God, for all of time, has been extending invitations to humanity. He has had his arm out, inviting humanity into his presence, inviting you and me into his presence, into a relationship with him. And so many of us take that invitation, we pin it up on the board, we put it on our fridge, we stick it on the mantelpiece, we have it on the shelves at home, and we go about our daily lives. And the invitation of God simply serves as a reminder of the hope we could have had, of the peace that we could have had, the life that we could have had, the wholeness we could have experienced, the love we could have experienced. And we kind of exist in and around the presence of God, but never fully responding to it, never fully stepping into the places that God invites us into. And we mope around, wondering why seasons of our life feel so empty and hollow. Wondering why we understand that we can have peace, but we've never really experienced it for ourselves. Understanding that there's a God, understanding that there is wholeness, but never really experiencing it for ourselves. Maybe you can relate to that feeling where, in your own life, in your own Christian walk, your own faith journey, you have looked at the promises of Scripture. You have looked at the things that God has said to you in your life and they just stand as a reminder because you know you haven't stepped into them. They stand as a reminder of what could have been. Well, my hope at the end of today, at the end of this series, it would stir some of you, stir some of your heart, stir some of your soul today to respond to the invitations that God has for us. Not just pin them on the fridge, not just have them on the side, not just live in and around them, but to experience what God has for us. I don't know about you, but I'm a person who I want to experience what God has for me in my life. I don't just wanna read about peace. I wanna experience peace. I don't just wanna read about purpose. I wanna experience purpose in my life. I don't just wanna read about this love of God. I wanna live in this love of God. How many of us settle for the reading, and how many how many of us settle for the knowing that it's there? Well, we're going to look at it. So, this is it. We're going to look at Mark chapter one verses sixteen to twenty. Mark chapter one verses sixteen and twenty. And I believe every single one of you, you're sat here right now thinking, I don't know if God's invited me into anything. Well, He has. Every single day, every single moment, God invites you to Himself. My question that I'll put to you today is this. What have you done with that invitation? What have you done with the invite that Jesus has extended to you? So we're going to spend a few weeks on this. And I hope by the end of it, we can be a people of invitation. People that invite others into the presence of God. But if we're going to invite people into the presence of God, you know what we need to do first? Understand what God has invited us to. Sound okay? Good. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20 says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother, sorry, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of man. Verse 18 says, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. And we're going to stop there, and there's so, so much to pull out of this whole narrative in the beginning of Mark. But what I want us to do is, just like Mark did, I want us to focus on this moment of invitation, The Bible was written in a time for a group of people, to a group of people, but it was written for us. The Holy Spirit will speak to us as we read the Scriptures. So this invitation comes to a specific group of people, these fishermen in the boats. But it can show us about the nature of God and the invitation that He extends to us today. But as always, when we are reading the Scriptures, which is an ancient book written by ancient people... To an ancient context, we need to understand who was it written to? Why is it here? So let's quickly dive into some little bit of background about Mark. And I think if we understand the context, we'll see the richness of this narrative and how it can help us. So the book of Mark is believed to be the first gospel written. Some people call the, the gospel of Mark the true gospel in the sense of it set the tone for how gospel books were written. Scholars believe that the way Mark was written set the whole sort of format and structure for how the rest of the Gospels were written. The book of Mark is a really, really pivotal book. It was written in the city of Rome. For those of you who know the significance of that, obviously the epicenter of the Roman Empire, very, very powerful place. But what was the audience of the book of Mark? A very, very eclectic mixed church or a mixed group of people mostly Gentiles, so those people who didn't identify as Jews, people who wouldn't have known the Bible, people who wouldn't have known the Old Testament, wouldn't have really known the prophecies. So it's written to a group of people who are seen as outsiders. So Mark is presenting the kingdom of God and presenting the person of Jesus to a group of people who have never ever heard of him before or would understand the significance. How do we know? If you look at Mark compared to the other gospels, he would rarely quote the Old Testament, and he doesn't use insider language. Okay, you can tell that he's right into a group of people who this is completely new to. But he also encourages some of the ones who would know, those who were under a little bit of fire from the Romans. So he doesn't use a whole lot of you know, language that the Jews would use. So this is helpful for us, because okay, most of us in this room will not be Jewish. We will not follow Jewish custom or the ceremonial laws and all those sides of things. We are Christians. So when you and I read this, Mark is speaking to people just like you and me, who would almost at the time have been seen on the outside, the Gentiles. Let's look at this. In Mark chapter one through to eight, Mark is setting the scene for his readers and he's saying to them, this is the foundational elements of the kingdom of God. He's almost saying, like, this thing that the Jews have waited for for years, it's finally come, and this is how it works. And this passage that we just read exists in the, right at the beginning of that. So to make this super plain for us this morning, simply, Mark is saying, this is the kingdom of God, and this is how it works. And he starts with this, the kingdom of God has followers. The kingdom of God has people within it. It's foundational to Mark's understanding of the kingdom of God. He would call it a foundational or fundamental part of the kingdom of God is that it has followers. And this is important. You'll see why as we go through this. But this is the backdrop I want you to keep in your mind. You might be like, this is just knowledge. This is just research. But this sets the scene for us to understand. It was written to a group of people who had no idea what was going on. So when we read it, It's teaching us like the one-on-ones. It's teaching us, we're going right back to the beginning. Making it plain, making it clear for us Christians, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? That's going to help us. So we're going to walk through all the verses of this passage. And I believe that it will set the scene for this series and it will set the scene for us. What does it mean to be people that have been invited by Jesus? So, verse 16 says this. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Mark wants to put across here just how ordinary these men were, how ordinary this whole situation was. Have you ever just found yourself feeling very human, just feeling very ordinary? Like, you look around at your life and you think, this feels quite ordinary, or maybe mundane, There's been times and seasons of my life when I looked around and I felt like this feels really mundane. I feel like I'm doing the same thing every day. I'm caught in the rat run of life. Just the ordinary, everyday human existence. Mark wants to really communicate here that this is where these disciples, these first early disciples, the people that Jesus called, they were just ordinary people. They just were ordinary people doing ordinary things, going about their ordinary day, right in the middle of their very ordinary job, an, un- an unimaginative job of fishing. Okay, they weren't regarded as really, really educated. They weren't regarded as the people that the world would say, oh, If we're going to start a religious revolution, a political revolution, we're going to see the the world turned upside down. We're going to see this gospel message spread across the world. These are the guys to do it. The world wouldn't have looked at them and seen them as candidates that were able to do this. Mark shows us the ordinary day that they were in. This is the thing we're going to look at invitations. Invitations are always sent to an invitee, right? That's the thing with an invitation. It's sent into the place where you are. If someone wants to invite you to something, they will what? They'll put it through your door. They'll send the invitation to where you are, not to where you're not. Okay, Invitations, that's the whole point. They're sent to, to invite someone somewhere. See, so many of us, when it comes to the invitation of God, You hear things like God is inviting you into peace, inviting you into wholeness, inviting you into relationship with him. So many of us will look around and say, oh, that must be if I exist over there. That must be if if I live like that. That must be if I have understood Christianity in my whole life. That must mean I have to live like this. And we think that God exists everywhere but where we are. Okay, but Jesus, the call from Christ, came to the first disciples where? Exactly where they were. Right in the middle of the ordinary, right in the middle of the everyday. And just like them, the invitation of Christ, the invitation into relationship, into His presence, is right where you are. Not where you think you need to be. Not when you think you know more. Now when you think you understand more, but right where you are right now, there is an invitation from Jesus to know him. An invitation from Jesus to him. Jesus was in Jerusalem several days before this encounter. Jerusalem was the holy place. That was the place where all of the, all of the people that you would assume that Jesus would have picked to be his disciples, that's where they would have been. All of them in one place. You imagine if Jesus is gonna like gather that the Messiah was going to gather his people, he would go to Jerusalem where the Jews were. They understood the law. They were waiting for him for centuries. We'll go to Jerusalem. We'll get the, most, the smartest people, the ones with the most influence. We'll set it up. Now nah, Jesus walks a hundred miles over three or four days to get to the back end of nowhere, to a province that was seen as a politically unstable province to pick people who are seen as the lowest of the low in their town. And he chose them right in the middle of their ordinary. What does this teach us about the nature of our God? That it does not matter how you see yourself. It does not matter how others see you. Jesus sees you exactly for who he has made you to be. And he extends his invitation, not to where you are not, but to where you are right now. The invitation of Jesus is available to you right now. I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. Invitations are sent to where a person is, and that's just the same with the invitation of Jesus. It is sent to right where you are. I wanna encourage you this morning, some application on this. Maybe you feel like one of those sides where you feel like, I feel I'm out in the middle of nowhere here. How could God use me? I'm out in the ordinary. I'm out in the everyday, I'm out in the mundane. Or you almost feel like, what could God do with me? If you've not seen me, they'd be way more talented than I would be. They have all the connections, they have all the money, they have all the whatever. Simply this, ask God to meet you right where you are. Right in the job that you're in, right in the relationship that you're in, right in that place in your mind that you're in. Right in this stage of life, invite God to meet you right here. Not over there. Not where you think you need to be, right here. Invitations are sent to an invitee. So let's carry on with this. Verse 17 says this. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, I always found this a weird thing when I was a kid. I heard Jesus is going to turn us into people that fish for people. I hate fishing. I'm not a fisherman at all. I have no interest in fishing. I would always read this and be like, what a strange thing to say. When Jesus says this to the disciples, when he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. This phrase simply means this. Come after me walk like I walk, do as I do. This wasn't just an invitation for them to waddle behind him and just follow him around. Okay? This was an invitation into discipleship. It was, come and live as I live, come and walk as I walk, come and do as I do. But then, at the time, obviously, the philosophers in Rome and in ancient Greece There was this whole big, like, intellectual, philosophical battle going on. And they would often use this phrase, like, they would bait people on a hook with their philosophies. They would say, like, we've got them. And their philosophies would catch people. So this idea wasn't, Jesus wasn't just making a pun to the fishermen. He wasn't just, like, waiting out and making a dad joke to them. Like, oh, hey, fishermen, I'm going to make you fishers of men rather than fish. This was a common phrase that they would use at the time. In other words, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to equip you to go out and spread this message so that we can see momentum building in what I'm going to do here. Now, the disciples probably had no idea what he was on about. Okay? They probably were looking at him going, what? Officials of men? They probably had no understanding of what it meant to go and catch someone with an ideology. They were fishermen. They were uneducated fishermen. And the crazy thing is this. In that time, when a rabbi was looking for followers, a rabbi would just go about their daily lives. And the more prestigious a teacher, the less that they would look around for followers because followers would go to them and they would ask them, please can we follow you? Please can we do what you do? Please would you let us become your disciple? That was standard practice in the Jews. Rabbis would not lower themselves to invite people to follow them. It seemed as desperate, seemed as a needy thing to do. But what did Jesus do? Jesus goes to them, stands on the beach and says, "Hey, I want you to come and follow me." Let's hold up a second. Understand how profound that is. Christianity is the only religion where God did not called people to himself out of fear, but came to people out of love. Christianity is the only religion where people don't just come to God, but God comes to them and dwells within them. Okay, The significance of what this shows us is a huge, huge parallel to the fact that the way our God works is he does not care about lowering himself as he did when he stepped foot on this earth, but God came to humanity. When everyone else would see that God's power would be displayed by standing back and letting people approach him. And maybe he'll accept them, just like we would see in many other world religions. This big deity that is far too holy and great for people to even approach. But what does our God do? Humbles himself and says, come and follow me. The beauty of our God is that he comes to you. The second you start looking for God, you will realize that the whole time he has been looking for you. Our God is not a proud God. He humbled himself, said in the Bible, even to death on a cross, to demonstrate his love for you and for me. Jesus approached them. People would have looked upon Jesus like, what a joke, calls himself a rabbi. Whilst other rabbis were walking around with this haughty arrogance that people would have to chase after them, Jesus went to them. I love this as well when Mark says, Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. It's almost like this invitation that Jesus extends to them was kind of like this dualistic invitation. It was an invitation to come and be, come and be his disciple. Like I said, that phrase, come follow me, simply means to come and be my disciple, walk as I walk. Then it says, and then I will make you become. The invitation from Jesus is both to be and to do It's like he adopts you into his household. He adopts you as a partner in this mission. And then he equips you and releases you to go and do something. The invitation of Jesus is both to be his disciple and to do his work. And we see this in the calling of these disciples. Remember, Mark is setting the foundations here for how the kingdom of God works. He's setting the foundations here for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The invitation of Christ is to both. Be his disciple and then to do his work to fulfill the plan that he has for you on this earth. Just like Simon and Andrew. Invitations, they don't just send you them to put on your wall. Invitations come to us to invite us to something or someone. An invitation is sent. It doesn't stop there. The whole point of an invitation is to invite you somewhere or to someone. Just like Simon and Andrew were. We are not invited to a program. We are not invited to a religion. We are not invited to a system of thinking. We are not invited to an ideology or a political stance. We are invited to the person of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Come follow my politics. Come follow My morals, come and follow whatever it might be. Of course, they would have learned all that stuff off him, but that was not the call to the early disciples. The call was come and follow me. Jesus is who we are invited to. The invitation that you have received from God, every single one of us, is not to simply try harder in your life. It's not simply to experience church and the community or to experience a little bit of hope on earth, you've been invited into relationship with the person of God in Jesus Christ. That is what this invitation is. And that's what that invitation was for Simon and Andrew. Come and follow me. I am the thing you are invited to. I am the person. I don't know whether you know this, and you should if you've been in Light Church for long enough, and I will bang on about this until the day I die, but I believe that God does not just save us for us to sit still. I do not believe that God has redeemed your soul for you to just go about your average nine to five, okay? I believe that God has saved you with and in a unique purpose, and that purpose is His purposes that He has placed on your life, no matter whether you work in a 9 to 5, no matter what you do in your life, is sort of irrelevant in that sense, but you have a part to play in the reconciliating work of Jesus on this earth. Do you know that? You have not just been saved for nothing, you have been saved and invited into this family to go and to be sent to do the work of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches us, and that is exactly what these disciples experienced. You have been saved with purpose. And I can bang on about this until the day I die because I believe if you are still breathing, no matter how difficult your life has been, no matter how messed up you feel, no matter how little you know about this, there is purpose within you. There is future within you because God has put it there. And he has saved you to be a part of his plan. So my question to you is, are you stepping in to that invitation? Are you walking in the purposes of God in your life? I don't need an answer. Don't, don't feel like you've got to put your hands up. This is for you to take away. Am I walking in the purposes of God for my life? Or have I just been saved and I've sat on my hands? Have I just taken that salvation and gone, hey, that'll do me. The invitation for Christ is to both be his disciple, be his follower, and then do his work. We are saved and sent. So invitations are sent to an invitee. Invitations invite you to somewhere or something. And let's carry on. In in verse 18, it says this. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately they left their nets. So Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and his brother Andrew fishing. In the middle of their job, and Jesus walks over to them and says, Simply come follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets. You see that picture of them just like throwing the nets back in the boat, pulling their boat up onto the beach, jumping out and going. That's what the Bible implies to us is they immediately in that moment left everything and followed Jesus. Mark wants us to see Jesus in this moment as someone who had authority. Again, remember Mark setting the scene here for the person of Jesus in the kingdom of God. Mark is showing us that Jesus had authority, has authority. That he could walk up to two men in the middle of their job and say, come with me. And they will go. There was an authority that Jesus carried. But more to the point here that Mark is really trying to show us is that there was action. Okay, There was action on the back of this invitation. They responded. They went. They moved. They got going. Immediately, Jesus calls them. They start going. That's it. They heard the call. They responded. See, Every invitation you receive, like we said at the beginning, is completely worthless unless you act upon the invitation. Every single invitation, birthday parties, mayoral ceremonies, invitations to salvation, not to equal those things. But you get the idea. They remain simply an invitation unless we act upon them. Just like Simon and Andrew. Invitations require response and action, otherwise they just remain as an invitation. Maybe the reason that you feel right now in this moment, and maybe in the way you are in your faith right now, maybe the reason you feel like things aren't clicking, or you feel like God has abandoned you, or you feel like things are really difficult right now, that you just feel like There's this disconnect between you and God, and you feel like I don't have the peace that I've heard God talk about in the scriptures. I don't have that comfort, I don't have that love, I don't have that stuff that we see. I've not I've not got any of that. Maybe the reason that you feel that disconnect is because you took that invitation of Christ and you pinned it on your fridge. You took the invitation into purpose and you put it on the shelf. And you walk around and you look at it knowing, why don't I have this? And my question to you today is, have you responded to the invitation of Jesus? Or is it just going to serve as a hollow reminder of everything that could have been in your life? Have you said yes? Have you actually moved, got going, responded to the call of God on your life? Every single day. The Bible says his mercy is new every single morning. Why? Because we need his mercy every single morning. Because we mess up every single day. And listen to this. Every single day, God is inviting you into his presence. Inviting you into relationship with him. Inviting you into a deeper understanding of his nature and his character. Every single morning, my encouragement to you is this. Respond to his invitation and go and do it. Don't just let these invitations sit there as reminders of what could have been. You might sit there on the edge and be like, I don't know if I fully believe in this God stuff. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. And you've, you've read about it. There's a thing in theology and in like apologetics called taxi cab theology, which is when people will jump in like into a taxi, ride down the road a little bit and jump out of the taxi. I've tried that Christianity thing. I've tried the God thing. It didn't really work. Can you imagine that? We jump onto an idea, we try it for a little bit, <laughs> we jump off it, and then we judge the whole thing. The amount of people I've asked the question, well, you have a really strong opinion about God here, but have you, have you ever responded to the invitation of Jesus? No? Okay. Now, how many Christians have I spoken to? I'm not experiencing this peace in my life. All right, have you, did you, did you respond to the invitation of peace that God gave you? Well, no, I just thought it came. God is inviting us every moment of our lives into a deeper understanding of who he is and to live in this kingdom that he has established. Have you responded to that invitation or is it just hanging on the fridge of your soul? Invitations are sent to an invitee. Invitations invite us to something or someone. Invitations require response and action. And finally, in verse 19 and 20, it says this And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So, two more disciples, the same thing. Mark's showing us the authority of Jesus here. Four down. Okay, four out of four. Jesus called them and they followed. Now, having servants as a fisherman meant that you had a successful business. Okay? Most fishermen just had a boat. Some of them would have a partner, but they would just go out, they would fish, they would do their thing. If you had hired hands in your boat, it implied that there were serious means behind your business. Okay? James and John did not just leave their occupation and their family, but left the means that came along with this whole thing. This cost them so much. For Simon and Andrew, it was their career and occupation. They left their nets immediately, stepped out of something that probably would have been like a generational thing. And for James and John, it was their family plus all that came with that the status, the means, all of that stuff. This was a huge decision for them. I don't want to water this down. I don't want you to hear this this morning and think, oh, it was easy. Like, of course, imagine if Jesus, like, you know, the Messiah, like the Son of God came and said, come and follow me. You'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. But the thing was, they weren't 100% sure. Okay, this was not a sure thing. This would be like someone walking up to you today and being like, yeah, so I'm like, I'm the king of Sweden. Like, come and live in my house. You'd be like, I mean, I guess it's a bit easier. You could Google it. But for them, it wasn't sure. They weren't sure. They would have looked at this man like, and throughout the gospels, you see it. They Time after time, they spent hours and hours and days with him. And then they go to each other, who is this guy? <laughs> I'm thinking like you said yes in the beginning. Like that's a step of faith right there. They see Jesus do amazing things, calm storms, feed 5,000 people. Their first question to one another, who is he? Who is this guy? Okay? This was a big, big risk for these men. They left everything for these men. Fourth thing and final thing about invitations is this. Invitations often require us to leave some things behind. Imagine if you were invited, like I said, you got that fancy letter through the door and you'd be invited to go have breakfast with King Charles. What would they do before you'd walk into that room? They'd pat you down check that you didn't have anything that you shouldn't on you. They would remove all the harmful stuff because there's some invitations, special invitations that require you to leave some harmful things behind. And Jesus is doing this. He's showing us this and he shows the disciples this in their own lives. You cannot always take everything with you. If you want to respond to the invitation of Jesus into a life of purpose and wholeness, And peace, you cannot take everything you have with you. You are going to have to let some stuff go, leave some stuff behind. The Bible teaches us this word repentance simply means to turn 180 degrees and go the other way. And what we're turning from, we're turning from the life of sin. Living according to our feelings turning from our former selves and running into the people that God has called us to be. There are some things that will not fit in the places that God is inviting you into. There are some dysfunctions in your life, some habits in your life, some relationships in your life that aren't going to fit in the future that God has called you into. There are some things that you are holding on to that God is saying, I need you to let go before you're going to step into the thing that I've called you into. The invitation of Christ always requires us to let go and to pick up, what does it say in the book of Luke? To pick up your cross and follow him. There are some things in your life that you need to let go of if you want to step in and follow and respond to the invitation of Christ. It might be sin. Or it definitely is sin. That might be dysfunction. It might be some habits. It might be some relationships. Maybe some ego or some greed or some lust. There are some things that are not going to fit in the future that God has called you to. My question to you today is, what are you still holding on to? Jesus is inviting you into a life of purpose and sonship and daughtership. What are you holding on to? I'm going to invite Joel and the team up. And I want to finish with this. The disciples at the time had no idea the significance of this man stood in front of them. Okay, It would take them a long time. In in other words, they never would really fully understand the significance of it and who he was going to be and what he was going to do. But you see, the Bible might not have been written to us, but it was written for us. And we get to see that if some invitations require a cost, require us to let go of some things. See, for the disciples, they just did it out of faith. But you and I, we get to see that if there is a cost to be counted, Jesus already counted the greatest cost. We are not responding to the invitation of a man whose words are hollow, whose power is thin, whose knowledge is limited. We are responding to the person of God in Jesus, whose knowledge is unlimited, whose power is unlimited, whose presence is unlimited who gave himself for you and me to die on a cross to take on our sin and our shame so that you and I could be restored to the Father. And then he rose again to demonstrate his power and to give us hope for our future. And he invites us to respond to the invitation of salvation, to know him, Don't let the invitation of Jesus stand as a symbol of the life that you could have, should have had. But respond to the invitation of Jesus and be the people that God has made you to be. Stepping into the future that God has placed within you.